Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well, because we're going to start with a challenge. Are you ready to be challenged? Here's my challenge. I'm going to name some famous scenes from some famous movies and see if you can figure out what they all have in common. Some famous scenes from some famous movies and what they have in common. Here's the first one. Prince Philip has been set free by the fairies to confront Maleficent and beat down all of the, all of the thorns and the dragon that Maleficent turns into to rescue um, uh, Sleeping Beauty from the castle. There's your first scene. Here's your second scene. Second scene. Uh, Luke, Han, and Chewie bust into the detention level. There's no problems here. And, uh, and Luke comes into Princess Leia's cell and she says, you're a little short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? How about, how about this scene? Our, our friends have been chased all through Jurassic Park by a pack of velociraptors, and they're finally cornered in the rotunda until T-Rex busts in and makes a way for them to escape and get off the island. Or, it's the fifth day, dawn of the fifth day at Helm's Deep. All seems lost, and Gandalf appears on the ridge with the riders of Rohan to come and save our heroes. Maybe all of those you don't know. How about this one? Buzz has been duct taped to a rocket in Sid's backyard. <laughs> and Woody and the other misfit toys have to find a way to get Buzz free. What do they all have in common? You guys got any ideas? What do they all have in common? You talk to each other? Yeah, I hear it. I hear some of you guys say it. Yeah. They're all rescue stories, right? They're all people at the last minute when all hope is lost, when everything's gone. At the last minute, hope breaks in, a hero comes to save the day. You know, Christmas is a rescue story. Christmas is a rescue story, but here's the weird thing about Christmas is that this is the hero of Christmas. It's not, it's not a winsome, handsome, awesome, strong prince. It's not like a ragtag band of adventurers band together to save the day. It's not a, a white wizard on a beautiful horse. The hero of Christmas is an infant. It's a, he's a baby. A baby come to save and rescue us all. The first people in the, in the very first Christmas story, they actually knew this weird, this strange thing was happening. They actually knew that this baby to come was going to be the hero of the story. Think about the birth announcement to Joseph, right? An angel comes to Joseph in his dream. Do you guys remember what he said? He said, look, don't be afraid to marry Mary. Don't be afraid because the baby she will bear will be what? He will save his people from their sins. Or think about the birth announcement to Mary herself. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, what? He says, like, don't be afraid because you're going to give birth to the son of the Most High. And by the way, his kingdom will have no end. And as she reflects on it, as she thinks on it, she thinks, well, he's come to rescue the oppressed, to save people, to save us from our sins. Or even that first Christmas night. When the heavenly host fills the sky and the angel army comes and proclaims to the shepherd, glory to God in the highest, do you remember what they say? They bring a good news of great joy that in the town of David, a savior is born. That the heroes come, and by the way, that savior, you'll know it's him because he's a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. How strange that this rescue story we're telling at Christmas 
is about the hero being an infant. So when you put your, your little baby in your nativity, you're telling something about the rescue story. When we host the living nativity next weekend out there and as people drive through and they see the scenes of the Christmas story, they're seeing something we're proclaiming to be true about the rescue story that God is telling. When we humble our hearts and we think on Jesus at Christmas, we're saying something true about what it is that God is rescuing us. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So we're going to be in these same two verses in Galatians 4. If you have your Bible, that's where you want to turn. And we've been looking at the Christmas story kind of distilled down to the small little passage, the small place in Galatians where, as a matter of fact, we think, you know, Galatians is probably one of the earliest Christian um, writings of all time, this letter that Paul has written to the churches in Galatia. And, and even people think even just this little nugget there in the middle of it, this little nugget is just distillation of the earliest kind of Christian summaries of what's happening in the rescue story of Jesus and the coming of a baby. So let's go ahead and let's read this passage together out loud. It's just, just two verses, and let's read it together as we proclaim uh, this story um, to one another. This is Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God, I do ask that this morning you would bless uh, your word, uh, that our hearts would be renewed through it, and that we would have a picture of what it means you've come to rescue us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at the the phrase, the fullness of time, and today we're going to look at this phrase, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. And so to dig into that, we're just going to look at three things. We're going to look at who the son is. We're going to look at the son. We're going to look at what the sending is. And then we're going to look at a surprise twist. So the son, the sending, and the surprise twist. My nephews are really into superheroes right now. They're like really, and so you talk to them and you get all the like facts and figures and info about superheroes and they really want to know more about different superheroes. And you guys know all this stuff, right? So if I said to you, who shoots webs out of his wrist, can stick to walls like this, who can have a sense that something bad is going to happen and got bit by a radioactive spider, you would know that's very good. What if I said, who is faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, represents truth, justice, and the American way. That's, yeah, you guys know this stuff. This is what we're doing today with Jesus, with this figure, the Son of God. Who is he? What makes him unique? What, what, what turns him into who he is? Who is the Son of God? What is his defining characteristics? So let's start with the Son. Here's the first thing we need to know. When the scripture teaches us about the Son of God, it's teaching us something very important that we can't miss, and that's that the Son of God is actually God himself. That the Son of God is actually God himself. So as Christians, you know, we proclaim this mystery. It just means we can't understand it. It doesn't mean it's not true. It means it's true. We can't understand it. We proclaim the mystery that God is a trinity, three persons in one. They can't be divided. They can't be separated. And yet we recognize them as three people. And we know that the second person of that trinity is the Son, who has this intimate familiarity with the Father, who's connected to the Father, that somehow the special favor of the Father falls on him while he is still God himself. 
And so you think about these famous passages, right? John 1, where we're told, when John uses the, the word, word, to talk about Jesus, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was God. Or Colossians 1, 15, right? When we're told that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over, over all creation, and through him all things are created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's the Son. You want to know what defines the Son of God? He's God. He's God himself. It's part of who he is. But the Old Testament has a lot to say about this figure, the Son of God, a lot to tell us about who this Son of God is, and so it pops up all over in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so we can imagine Paul, a, a Jewish man, a Pharisee, a learned Jewish man, thinking back to what the, the Hebrew Scriptures would say about the Son of God. And here's what the Hebrew Scriptures say. Really important to understand that part of God's promises, we call them covenants, the part of God's covenant with his people was that his kingdom would come through the king named David. We talked about it last week as, as Bob was talking to us about the fullness of time. And God made this promise to David and said that the, that the royal throne of God's kingdom would never leave David's line. And as a matter of fact, that that heir would be called God's son. And so there's something about when, when Paul says here that God sent forth his son, that Paul is saying something about the fulfillment of all that stuff Bob taught us about last week in the fullness of time, that there's something about the promises of God that are met in the figure of the son of God, that all this stuff that's supposed to come true, the king of the universe, the royal heir, all of that's fulfilled, those promises come through the son of God. But there's this really interesting second stream. There's this really interesting thing happening in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures as well, is that frequently Israel, the whole nation of Israel, is called God's child, is called the Son of God, when it's fulfilling God's plan for it. So when people live righteously according to the plan of God, when they're gathered together, the Old Testament refers to them as the Son of God. So here, you're filling out your picture like you know what Superman does and like you know what Spider-Man does. Here's what the Son of God does. He is God himself come to fulfill all the promises that God has made. And by the way, keep all of the obligations and righteousness and holiness before God to do everything that God wanted him to do. And it carries over into the stories of the New Testament. You guys know them. There's so many of them. Take some time this week and explore all the places in the Gospels where Jesus is called the Son of God. Even in the very birth announcement, right? As Gabriel says to Mary, he will be the Son of God. Or think about Jesus at his baptism. Remember the voice from heaven that says, this is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist announced to everyone, here's the Son of God. The day that, they, that Jesus walks on the water to the disciples, it says that they pause and worship because truly this is the Son of God. And when Jesus turns to his friends and says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. We're told that demon-possessed people can't come before him because they claim that he's the Son of God. It makes the religious leaders angry because Jesus is he's claiming to be the Son of God and people are proclaiming him to be the Son of God. And so at his illegal trial, the night of his rest before his crucifixion, the high priest says, are you the Son of God? Is that, was that really what you think you are? And Jesus says, you say it's so. And then as he has died on the cross, the centurion looks up and says what? Surely this was the Son of God.
John finishes his, his whole telling of the story of Jesus by saying this, that this all was written so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. So that, that figure, that, that hero we're talking about, right, who is God himself come to keep all the promises and keep all the requirements is also Jesus of Nazareth, a human being born as a baby, come to do ministry and to teach and to share and to sacrifice his own life. So the Son of God is also a sacrificial picture in the scriptures, the one who gives himself for his people. As a matter of fact, Paul says it quite frequently when he talks about the Son of God. Think about uh, Romans 8 when, God said, when he says that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So how do we fill this out? Who's the Son? Well, here's who the Son is. The Son is the pre-existent God, fulfiller of covenant, royal heir, promised righteous Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, who gave his life for the rescue of his people. That's the Son of God. That's his description. That's who he is and the hero of the story. But what does he come to do? So if that's the Son, what's the sending? What's the sending? Because our passage today says that God sent forth his Son. God sent forth his son. So here's what we consume. If God sends forth his son to do something, it's like when I was a kid and um, we lived pretty close to a grocery store. It was like down two roads. My mom would hand me a $20 bill and a list of things to go to the grocery. It's like, you're, you're being sent forth <laughs> or dinner's not going to happen, right? Did anyone else have that experience? Like, God sent forth his son. There was a mission. There was something to accomplish. Something needed to be done. God sent forth of his son, which means, which implies, friends, listen, that when God sent forth of his, his son, he was not satisfied with the way things currently were. There was something to fix. There was something wrong. There was a mission that needed to be going. God is the sending God who recognizes that things are not as they should be. And the whole idea here is that God is the one working. God is the one sending forth his son, his hero, to rescue us. It's not us. We didn't do it, but God is the actor. God is the one doing what is required. Something had to happen. Action had to be taken. Not everything was okay. We were the princess trapped in the tower. We are the, the friends in the no-win situation. We are the toy strapped to the rocket. And God had to send forth his son because things weren't right. We need rescue. And so right off the bat, to proclaim that God is ascending God is for us to proclaim that there's a problem that needs to be fixed. And not only that, there's a problem that needs to be fixed, but we proclaim that God desires to fix it. God wants to do something. God, God wants to meet us in our need. And it was so different from the religious life of Paul's day because the gods of, of the pagan world of Paul's day, they were so capricious. And you kind of just had to do all the right things and maybe they would be nice to you and give favor to your city or your business venture or your family. But who knew if you had to do all the right things? And this is a God, Paul's God that he proclaims here is so different. Because he, he initiates, he, he sends forth his son. He takes the first step 
to come and fix what isn't right. There's a, a divine mandate. The, the universe, the God of the universe is, send, is sending God. And so we learn about who he is. This is who he had always been. In Exodus 3, we see this word for sending. It has the root word for apostle, the sent ones. We see the same kind of sending show up as God sends Moses. Remember Moses is at the burning bush, and he's like, well, who, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? God says, tell him I'm sending you. <laughs> Yahweh is sending you. I won't let people persist in slavery. I won't pe- let people persist in lostness. I am the one who's heard the cry of my people, and I'm going to rescue them. The sending God has been on a mission all along to rescue his people. It's his desire and his purpose because he loves us. You guys remember a handful of years ago when the, uh, a whole soccer team of young boys in Thailand got trapped in a cave by a flash flood they had gone exploring and uh, just a terrible circumstance and they got trapped in this cave and, and no one even was even sure if they were alive. And do you remember this? That uh, the whole world started sending its best divers and its, its best uh, military personnel. And, and everyone started gathering there. Like the only people who could do it started gathering at this cave entrance in Thailand to try and rescue these, these boys. And they weren't even sure that they could do it. And the best, most highly qualified, trained people finally found them. And they came up with a plan. And they were going to sedate the boys. And they were going to bring them out one by one. The boys had to totally trust the divers. And their best guesses going into it was that maybe maybe 85% of them would die in the process. There's a picture here of the incredible danger, incredibly dangerous rescue that God sent his son on for us. We can't save ourselves. We know that it did cost Jesus his life. As a matter of fact, Paul says it earlier in Galatians, He describes this work that the Son of God did, and he tells us, you know, you remember this in Galatians 2.20, where he says, look, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in this life. I live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God has been sent to give himself for us. And now all broken things will be made right. And so what's the sending? Was well, just this, that God was not satisfied. God was not satisfied to leave his people enslaved to sin and evil and death. So he sent forth his son to love us, to give himself for us in order that broken things, our broken things, the world's broken things, would be made right again. We have a son who's been sent. But now, there's a surprise twist. Do you guys like surprise twists? <laughs> Some people hate them. Here's the surprise twist. This one blows my mind. You ready? Here's the surprise twist. We actually find it um, key here. Let's read in John chapter 1. As, we, as John has been talking about the sending of Jesus, here's what the scripture says. It's describing Jesus as the light that's come into the world. And here's what it says. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. Now, here's a twist. Can you imagine Prince Philip having beaten away the thorns and defeated the dragon, storms up into Sleeping Beauty's castle, and she says, you know what, I'm good. I appreciate it. No worries. Thanks so much, but uh, I got this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if like Gandalf shows up on, on the top of the hill at Helm's Deep and they look out and they're like, who's that? I, I, we got problems here to deal with. I don't, I don't know what's going on over there. Can you imagine if we go to rescue Princess Leia and she's like, you know, I'm good here. I'm good here. You can just leave me. This is a twist. That here comes the God of the universe, the son that has been prophesied for thousands and thousands of years at this fullness of time. Here came this hinge moment, the coming, the sending, the arrival of Jesus, and that the world went, meh. That's a twist. The, the world rejected the hero. Here was the baby born in a backwater in a tiny province of the most mighty empire in the whole world. He's lying in a stable somewhere. This is an interesting twist to the story because his own rejected him and the world didn't recognize him. The Son of God put on flesh, come to dwell with us. No one knew him. And then as he lived his life, as he showed signs of his authority over the world, as he, as he, as he healed and he brought pictures of the kingdom of God into life, as he, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, as he called people to repent, as he taught about who God was in authority and power, everyone continued to go, eh, I'm not sure, until he finally gave his life on the cross. I think it points to another twist. I think there's another part to this twist. Not just that we would reject him, we wouldn't recognize him, but that we still mattered to him. He came in the world to rescue his own, and his own said, eh, we're not too sure. And he said, I'll give my life for you anyway. Friends, the surprise twist of the Christmas story. Listen, when you, when, you, when you put that baby in that manger, you're declaring something, and here's what you're declaring. You're declaring that we mattered to God. That God sent forth his very son because human beings, human hearts, human brokenness mattered to him. And he cared enough to send his very son. And you know what that implies? It implies not just that human lives matter to him, but it implies that you, right now, in this room, everything that you brought here with you, everything that you, that's circling around your life right now, that matters to God too. When we talk about that baby in the manger and we proclaim that God has sent forth his son, we are saying something about our rescue We're saying that our hurting and our struggle, your brokenness, your fear, your yearning for something different, your worry, your exhaustion, it matters to God. And God has sent forth his son. Think back to that rescue that in that cave. And imagine those, those boys are lost. And you know that the only way to get to them 
is to send the, the perfect person in, to send the people who are only, only the qualified people can do this. For anyone else, it would be folly, it wouldn't work, and they're never gonna get themselves out. And by the way, that perfect person who's gonna put their life on the line to do that is your most beloved family member. This is something true about the rescue mission. That it's not just that God has sent forth his son, is that he loves his son, and he loves us, and he loves you. And so his son will go to die. And this is the final part of the twist, that he lives again. And in living again, he calls us into his family. And so that's the way our, our passage in Galatians ends, right? That we would receive adoption as sons, that because of this sending forth of the son and the work that he's going to do, we belong to the family. We're invited into the family business now. By the same spirit, Paul says in just a few verses, that we can cry, Abba, Father, too. We can say, that's my dad, too, and I'm on his mission as well because everyone needs to know that the rescuer has come. And don't we do that at Christmas as well? We proclaim that rescue is here. And so we have our surprise twist. It's just this. Humans reject or receive the Son. This one who's been sent to rescue, some people reject. Some people receive. And that those who receive him... They become part of the family. They become grafted into the family business and the mission of God to set all things right again. What an amazing rescue story. It has our hero. It has the mission. It has a surprise twist. And it involves us. So what about you? I mean, what about you? If, if you were sitting, sitting there and thinking about it, or if we were having a conversation, what about you? I mean, if we ask ourselves some questions, we start asking ourselves some things like, well, do I reject or do I receive the Son? I think for a lot of people, they may not even sense their own need for rescue. We don't realize that as, as Paul has said in Galatians, that we're enslaved to sin and to evil forces and to death. And we're in need of rescue. Do you believe it or have you engaged, have I engaged in a lifelong effort of self-rescue that doesn't work and is destined to fail? Or how about this question? Are you and I ready to join God on the sending mission of his sending son? I guess for me, some of the biggest takeaways are just this, friends. Listen, how are you feeling right now? If you know your brokenness and you know your need for Jesus, you know you can't get it right. Maybe you've put stock in things that have let you down and maybe you've tried to build your life in a certain way and you're coming to the realization that it doesn't really work the way that you wanted it to. Here's what I want to tell you. God sent forth 
his son. Or maybe some of us in here are feeling isolated or afraid or we're sad or we're alone or we're broken or we're, we're so worried about what's next. God sent forth his son. Maybe there's many of us that we look around and we see the damaged mess of the world and our hearts are breaking and we lament the broken things and the injustice and the hard things that we see around us and we long for the restoration of a world made right. God sent forth his son. This is the story of Christmas. God sent forth his son. You know, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones in the children's storybook Bible uh, says it best, I think. She says this, the Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tales that's come true in real life. See, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you have sent forth your son. We thank you that whatever brokenness we've experienced in the world or in our hearts, he has come to rescue us. And Lord, I ask that now, as we come to this table, that we might remember the rescuing work of Christ. And that you might humble our hearts to know our need for you, to receive rather than reject, and to trust in the work that you're doing. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.